Welcome to Ahead of the Game, a podcast brought to you by KMT Partners. I'm Andrew Montesi. In today's episode, we talk to Eddie Collette, founder of Sunlight Liquor, a unique company that is reimagining how honey and alcoholic beverages can be used together. For Eddie, the journey started with a passion for beekeeping, a not-so-common hobby that opened up his mind to issues of sustainability and the environment. Looking for a unique way to use honey, Eddie partnered with his friend Tom O'Reilly, who started his career brewing beer with stone and wood. With no business experience, the duo founded Sunlight Liquor, and on a steep learning curve, Eddie and Tom have developed a great product, secured early sales, and are now preparing for the next big step in growth. This podcast is brought to you by KMT Partners. KMT is a leading accounting and wealth management advisory firm in South Australia, assisting you to emerge, renew, grow and build resilience in business, themes which are central to this podcast series. For more information, visit kmtpartners.com.au. Enjoy our chat with Eddie Collette from Sunlight Liquor. Eddie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So reimagining honey and alcoholic beverages, why honey? Um, well, I came from a background with um, keeping bees and just getting an insight into how much amazing variety there actually is in honey. And it's not just your kind of classic thing that you pour over your oats in the breakfast. Like every single landscape has slightly different flowers and the bees head out into those landscapes and collect the nectar and come back and produce unique honeys each is sort of a variety combination of place and time and so I think I tried a few conventional meats and I just didn't feel like it really reflected Mm. that diversity and was a good representation of that so I thought there was an opportunity there to sort of value add the small amount of honey that I was producing and create something new and interesting. So how, how specific does it get? Like, oh, are we going to get to a point where we'll be able to have one of your drinks and be able to say, oh, mm, that's definitely from this region in this area based on the, the taste? I'd like to think we can get to that. That's sort of the direction we'll be heading in is sort of this celebration of varietal. But there's some broadly speaking similar flavour profiles in honey, like your classic Australian gum honey from the gum trees, sort of a big caramelly sort of... It's quite distinct if you go overseas and try honeys you go oh this is tastes really different to mm. I remember it but uh yeah so the classic Australian gum honey broadly speaking is one thing and then you have your very light agricultural honeys like your clover honeys your lucerne and your canola which are just a great sweetener quite low cost mm. honey and don't add too much complex flavor to a product so they're great for things like adding botanicals to and something a direction we might be heading with some of our uh, more creative blended products at the moment but there's definitely there's standout unique very distinctive honeys like the classic um, Tasmanian leatherwood it's very strong distinct honey which I think I can't wait to get into experimenting mm. with that in a few of our drinks. Mm. Beekeeping's a, a fascinating world how did you get into it? Uh, well I moved back to my family property after a sort of first career in public sector and research in the fields of environmental sustainability and natural resource management. And so I, I just felt like I wasn't really loving that that stage of my life. Mm. So I, I moved back to the family farm and working there, we're in this, we've established a small orchard and it came a, out of a necessity really to get some better pollination in our orchard. Mm. And so we got a few hives and then 
those hives swarmed and then I had a few more hives and learnt that it's probably bad practice to let your hives swarm and you should manage them better and it's just such a fascinating hobby that it's really easy to get sucked into a wormhole of interest in beekeeping. Mm, Absolutely and from what I understand um, bees play a pretty vital role in terms of sustainability. Yeah absolutely there's um a lot of people enjoy almond milk these days and various kind of almond-based product. And currently there's not a, not really an almond in existence that hasn't been visited mm. by a bee early in its life. Um, there is some modern breeding now to elim- eliminate the, the bee pollination necessity there, but still approximately a third of the crops that we like to eat are pollinated fully or partially by bees. Okay. So how did you start bringing together honey and and alcoholic beverages? Well, it was a classic thing of thinking how I could value add honey. Mm. And uh, I, I kind of ummed and ahed about things and I thought there must be money in the, in the alcohol game. Maybe that's the option. And uh, yeah, like I was saying, it's... Uh, it's one of these things that I'd tried a few conventional mm. meads and I don't think they're really ideally suited to the Australian climate mm. and drinking occasions. There's never really a time where I catch myself saying, geez, I could really go for a mead right now. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, it's just experimentation. And then a good friend of mine who is now my business partner in this project uh, gave me a recipe for actually a kombucha, so like the fermented Love kombucha. Drink, yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, using honey instead of sugar. And so I began playing around with that and experimenting with a few different flavours in there and thought this could really be something. We could we could make something really interesting mm. out of this. So in terms of, like, if for someone like myself, I haven't had mead before, uh, What what's your typical recipe? Well, maybe not the, the typical recipe of the meads that you don't like. What's your typical recipe and, and what, are, what are all the different ingredients? Well, basically mead is defined as anything that's made from fermented honey as the sugar source. And so by recipe, ours is not really unique in terms of still starting with honey, which you dilute down in water because honey as it, on its own is unfermentable because it's just too mm. high in too low in water and too high in sugar and there's a few things that the bees have worked out to preserve sugar over winter and so that's by itself it won't ferment but as soon as you add water to it it can basically spontaneously ferment and turn into something so that's where the uh the sort of saying that meat is the oldest drink that people have been oldest alcoholic beverage mm. that people have made but um in terms of what we do differently we're trying, we've come at it with a bit of a beer, craft beer approach because my business partner has a background in craft brewing having spent a number of years working for stone and mm. wood. And so that's all about really quick, clean fermentations where the yeast is kept really happy, doesn't throw strange yeast flavours, which is uh, something that can happen with honey. And so basically keeping things temperature controlled really sanitary so we don't have to rely on things like heat pasteurization or adding preservatives to it to make a, a much sort of fresher lower alcohol style of drink that um yeah 
it's a lot cleaner and more mm. refreshing. Mm. How long does it take to produce a batch? We work actually in the same time frame that most craft beers do. So we, we have a 21-day uh, turnaround, which includes the cold settling in the tank. So quick ferment that goes for about seven days and then you slowly chill it down and it clarifies. Mm. Okay. Uh, you mentioned your co-founder, Tom, and and his background with, with Stone and Wood, great, great brewery. What's he been able to, to bring to the table? A lot of know-how is really the short answer to what Tom has brought. Um, he's, yeah, great connections, great technical knowledge in the manufacturing side of things. Because I think one of the things that Stone and Wood did very well is have very good production systems, mm. There's also a very large scale and a lot of beer that he's personally made and he's, I think he's, much to his embarrassment in his early days, he's made mistakes Mm. on other people's time and so Mm. when he comes to (laughs) ours, he's he's pretty switched on. Oh, very good. So how, I mean, you're playing around with with a recipe that that you've been given, you're starting to tinker. When did you think there could be more to this and, and when did you think about actually the mechanics of building a business? Well, I think we'd been playing around with trial batches and talking about the kind of possibility of starting a business. And then um, basic, uh, so Tom started working for Barossa Valley Brewing up in mm. Tanunda, and they have a contract facility where they, they'll do production for small startup breweries and excess capacity for other breweries. And so we had the opportunity of getting a great big tank and filling it up and doing a proof mm. of concept and what better way to do than to learn than to start with a 2,000 litre batch. Wow. <laughs> so I think we... I hope it was a decent batch. It turned out really well, which Good. Was, was lucky. And it's, I think we, there was a, a bit of skill, a lot of skill from Tom. He, he, he knew what he was doing and he's used to trialling things at large scale, but it's still very daunting nonetheless a lot of our recipe development mm. was uh was on the fly i'd suppose we um few things we hadn't been able to trial on small equipment that doesn't have the same level of temperature control and you don't have mm. all the equipment for testing things to know how you're going through the process and so i think we just launched into it and we had to start at some scale and that scale happened to be so large that it forced us to really start the business and learn all the business side of things. Yeah, so you were, I mean, as the, as the batch is being made, are you, are you pretty nervous given you, you know, you're having a fair crack to kick things off? I think we were both very nervous for different reasons. So Tom was nervous about being able to produce something that tasted good and I was starting to sort of foreshadow the challenges of selling 2,000 litres of a brand new product that no one had ever heard of. And so he was worrying about the production and I was worrying about the sales and I think that's sort of, it's a a real challenge in the the startup co-founder land of kind of being able to support each other through Mm. the challenging times and I think we were both freaking out two different things, both convinced that ours was the most important thing to be (laughs) concerned about and uh, I think there was a few, uh, more than a few stressful occasions and kind of slightly short conversations with each other. So he nails the batch and then it's a matter of over to you mate, you've got to go sell this. (laughs) What was your your first step in terms of 
um, selling? Oh, well, unfortunately, well, fortunately and unfortunately, alcohol is quite regulated in terms of sales and things. So getting uh, a sales licence, because when we're producing it at Barossa Valley Brewing, we use their production licence, but we discovered probably a bit late in the piece that to actually sell it, we need to have a sales licence. And so that's a whole bureaucratic process that we had to get our head around and a long lead time. In the meantime, we've got all the bills coming in and we can't sell anything. So I think from then, just the realities of how getting an artist to do a nice label for you, it's one thing to make a good product, but then to actually get consumers to pick it up, you need to have something that needs to look pretty. That really matters, doesn't it? it? Oh, absolutely. And I think, again, a few, we had some good fortune. A friend of a friend of mine turned out to be a really nice graphic designer that does some really amazing artworks. And we, we really, we nailed the label. It's, um, it really pops out and stands out on the shelf. And I think that's such a big thing Mm. in a marketplace now that's crowded with so many offerings of high quality craft beer and cider that you, if you want to stand out, it's got to look Mm. the part as well as taste the part. What's the shelf life like on the product? Because, I mean, are you, are you thinking about that as you're trying to, you got all this product to sell. Is it a bit of a ticking clock in terms of actually getting it out there? We were presuming that it was <laughs> because coming from craft beer, mm. you've really got about, if you're doing a hoppy beer, you've got about three months really before it starts to really lose hop character. And so we were beginning to freak out. But because we're in uncharted territory with a, a new sparkling mead, there's no hand, handbook on how to make it and how long it lasts. Mm. And so it was a bit of a suck it and see and it turned out very fortuitously that it actually is incredibly shelf stable and if anything it's actually improved in can and keg and uh, really settled down to be a, a smoother more easy drinking product well wow, could it end up being kind of like wine that gets better with age i think definitely can there's already in the conventional style liqueur meads and things there's a lot of people doing aging and i think doing it as a four percent product that's sparkling we're sort of doesn't have the alcohol as the preserving agent in there so we're trying to be a bit hesitant but I think there's there's great potential to be able to do a vintage product sometime down the track. What were I guess your early sales? Um, Who did you who did you get in with early on? We're lucky in South Australia that there's quite a lot of patriotism towards state produced Mm. Um, food and drinks and so there's some really great independent bottle shops around Adelaide that were more than happy to put us on if nothing else than for a trial basis and chasing a few craft beer bars to get them on board but uh, we we tried to launch well we did launch the product in the middle of winter which is a very tough time for any kind of um, alcohol sales gig, mm. particularly if your beverage is something light and refreshing and ideally suited to summer. You get a, a lot of comments saying, oh, this would be a great summer drink. Mm. I don't think I'll put it on for a while yet. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, what about, I guess, within this craft industry, I always think about the difficult balance of, you know, refining your product, perfecting the product, creating a great 
product versus this sales and, and business side. Are you conscious of that? Is it is that a challenge that you foresee, if not already? Absolutely. And no, that is spot on. It's the biggest challenge is uh, you have to produce something for proof of concept and you also have to sell that. Mm. And I think, I'm not going to mention any names, but it's something that does happen. People's first batch often goes slightly differently to how they would have expected and they get stuck with a product that they have to sell nonetheless. Mm. But we were very lucky that it turned out really well for us. But that's not to say that we're not sort of tinkering with one component of the recipe at a time to refine and optimise what we're doing. In these early days, have you been conscious about, I guess, kind of creating values that that your brand can build on and, and what values are they? I think we definitely are because both Tom and I come from a background in sustainability and environmental science Mm. and I think that lends itself very well to a narrative around bees being something that are very sensitive to environmental changes and they're also something that we rely upon for so much of what we eat and Mm. so we've developed some fairly strong kind of green messaging that we're supporting the clean and green and mm. we're trying to do things in the least damaging way because I think it's very hard to say that anything is completely sustainable in this world. We sort of we make the best out of what we can do and try and aim high and get as close as mm. we can to that. And so that's come down to some of our packaging choices and things we get the comment quite often, well, why didn't you put it in a glass bottle? Because that would sell better. But uh, there's a few things there and not the least, uh, aluminium cans weigh very little. And so when you, you think about it in terms of a distribution thing, you're not, you're not using energy and fuel and packaging weight to send glass mm. around the country. It's this very light, highly recyclable aluminium can. And I think Luckily, there's a growing awareness that quality mm. beverages can come out of cans. You described this first year as like an accelerated business degree. What have been the big challenges for you so far? I think it's the reality that, like I was mentioning, there's one thing to make a great tasting drink, mm. but there's another thing to sell it. And so you can work out the cost of producing something, but there's another big big thing that you need to consider and that's the cost of selling something because sales trips bringing on board distributors um, marketing all of these things are critical to sales but uh, they come at a cost and some of those things you're not you can't really work out till you Mm. kind of get quite a long way down the track and so pricing is something that I think is a terrifying thing for any small business starting up particularly when they kind of haven't when they've got a few cost unknowns, you kind of just mm. have to take a punt and hope. And so, yeah, it's that's always a challenge. And I think moving into the summer as the demand is picking up, another thing that we've had to be very mindful of is access to production space. And uh, without having our own site, we've kind of got to be very mindful that we're operating in someone else's brewery and we can't, expect to have tank space whenever we want and you've got to make big commitments up front and mm. uh, be nice to have our own facility but uh, unfortunately big stainless steel equip- equipment is very expensive. Mm. I mean and on that I guess I think you guys are funding it yourself so far is that is that correct? 
Yeah, this stage we're fully self-funded and... Uh, That's a pretty amazing effort. Yeah. Have you been able to do that? <laughs> well, I was, I was lucky that um, I had a very favourable employment history to start, start with and uh, I managed to get a few savings in the bank which have just about all gone into the business now and I think we're getting to the stage though where we really are going to have to consider investment. So if there's any angel investors listening, <laughs> you know where to find us. So you've started that process, you know, the pitch deck, the pitching and meeting with investors and all of that stuff? Not excessively formally. <laughs> I think that's a code word for not really. We're still very much navigating the space of getting investment ready and working out yeah. the things we need to, to know to approach people in a meaningful way because one of the things that about learning is you've got to learn what sort of what you don't know and what the questions are that you need to ask. Reflecting on the first year, what are you most proud of in terms of your own achievements, whether personally or for the business? Well, I think there was a very big milestone moment the first time we saw our can sitting on a, a fridge shelf in a bottle shop, and I think that was a sort of a bit of a moment to pause and reflect on what we'd actually achieved. Awesome. Um, now, in terms of your actual goals touched on funding as being a big part of it what are what are the key pillars for you over the next couple of years I think the the conventional wisdom in in the brewing business is that you you start with distributing in your own backyard and so it's building capac, uh, production capacity and so at the moment we we can get to a lot of bases in South Australia but over the coming years, we'd like to expand our distribution to our neighbouring states and nationally. And I think we also have a unique product that has some great potential for export, but all of those things rely on upping the capacity of production and some of that is highly reliant on getting our own facility. And so that's big money. And mm. so at the moment we're getting some runs on the, on the board and proving that our product is something that there's, has demand and something people like and we can produce it well and consistently. And I think if we have those things proven, it puts us in a great spot to mm. attract investment. I mean, it's hard to predict the future too far ahead, but in terms of your own personal goals, I mean, we often see, um, you know, alcohol companies getting bought up by, by bigger groups where does that sit for you in terms of a long-term goal for the business? I think in some ways it'd be nice to dream of that multi-million dollar buyout, but uh, I think that's something that perhaps in the modern times there's less players trying to... The, this man scra mad scramble to get mm. small craft brewing companies is, uh, has probably slowed a little bit, so I think we're focusing on building... Mm a sustainable business rather than going straight down the sales path. Mm. How do you see the market at the moment? Because it seems like it's a great time to be in craft, whether it's beer, gin, whatever. Yes and no. I think that's, there's, there's some truth in that statement, but it also is a very crowded market mm. space now and you just have to walk into a, a craft beer bar and you'll you'll hardly recognise a single offering on tap if you're not mm. well and truly inside the industry. So it's still a very challenging place to be and I think the the thriving number of small kind of businesses starting up in craft beer and cider shows that there is consumer demand for it but there's still a situation where a lot there's a lot of uh, ownership of 
taps in bars and there's still big players that have a lot of influence over the industry as a whole. And so, if anything, it's more competition for the same size uh, piece of the market. Mm. And uh, I think it would be really good to see that that slice of the, the market grow a little bit. And I, I, I'm confident that it will, but uh, I think for us it's quite good because we're offering a different product. We're not... I'd hate... In some ways, it'd be very easy. It'd make our marketing a lot easier if we could just tell people we make a beer <laughs> rather than having to explain what meat is to them. But mm. it also works very well in our favour that we can be offering something new and different. It's a point of difference. Easier to attract interest and excitement mm. with a product that's new and different. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine a big piece of your marketing will be almost that market development, educating people about mm. what it is and the benefits and absolutely, all of that. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the United States has been a bit of a leader in craft beer and we're hoping that, that the same is true for small mead production mm. because it's a really booming industry over there with huge amounts of growth and many new small businesses starting up and you can walk around shops there and mention sparkling mead and people might have actually heard about mm. it versus here where it's uh, you start from square one with mm. every person that you talk to. Are there any companies or other brewers or producers that that you guys look up to i think we've so my my business partner tom having spent a long time at stone and wood has some really great values great marketing and a real sense of place i think it's hard to go past looking at them as a, a bit of a example of how to grow a business well and maintain integrity hmm. Eddie, thanks so much for, for coming onto the podcast and sharing your story one year in. We look forward to getting you back to in a few years and um, hopefully business is booming. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our interview with Eddie Collette from Sunlight Liquor. For more information, visit sunlightliquor.com.au. Ahead of the Game brings you real business stories that will inspire and help you grow. Please subscribe to our show and to find out more, visit kmtpartners.com.au. At our website, you can also find out more about KMT's accounting and wealth advisory services, which support individuals, their family and businesses with accounting, business management, growth, compliance and advisory services. Get in touch at kmtpartners.com.au.